the series Solomon and the Queen. First Kings chapter 10, reading at verse 1. And when the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the city of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, it was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believe not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. Behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel. Because the Lord loved Israel forever, therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices, very great store and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these, which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir, brought in from Ophir great plenty of almug trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almug trees pillars for the house of the Lord and for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for singers. There came no such almug trees nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire and whatsoever she asked, beside that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. And last week we began looking at the similitude of the queen. We've looked at the similitude of Solomon as Christ. Based on Christ's words, Matthew 12, 42, a greater than Solomon is here. And so we want you to see yourself as a sinner in the person of the queen. And what we noticed last week was there in verse 1 that she heard of the fame or the news of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, and she came to prove him. So we talked about hearing about. And that's now we're talking about what sinners do, what she did, how they react to hearing about. God, Christ, or the gospel. And we established from her own words in verses 6 and 7 that there is a pattern for all sinners when they hear about the Bible, the gospel, God's word, Jesus, etc. And there may be varying degrees of thee, but there are, as we've seen and shown you last week, curiosity. As sinners, some are more curious than others, but there's a natural curiosity like Zacchaeus manifested. But there is always in sinners, because they are and we are sinners, skepticism, doubt, and unbelief. That's natural with every sinner. And again, the degree may vary, but it's present in all sinners. It is not natural for a sinner just to believe the truth of God's Word or the truth really about anything. That is very unnatural. And the queen admits this in verse 6 and 7. She says, it was a true report. I heard it in my 
own country. I heard it a long time back and a long way ago of thy acts and thy wisdom, but I didn't believe it until I came and I had seen it, and the half was not told me, and it exceeds even what I heard. Now that's the outcome we wish would happen to all sinners, don't we? That they would hear, they would come, or even if they did not have to come, but to come in a sense of thinking, meditating, questioning as skeptics and find out that what they heard was indeed true and they believed it by faith and it transformed their lives. That's the desired outcome, but it is not the familiar outcome many times. But it was hers. And if you're a believer today, that is your outcome. At some point you heard about, but you did not believe in. And if you are a believer, you went from faithlessness to faith, and you would say to some degree, in some manner of words, just exactly what verse 6 and 7 is. If you're a born-again Christian, guess what? Everything I initially heard was not only true, there was so much more that I could not even imagine. And even to this day, our confession is what? We're still learning and finding it to be bigger and truer and greater and better than what we initially heard and thought and believed last week. How wonderful. That's the grace of God. I was giving you some examples of skepticism from the New Testament, and I'd like to continue with a couple of more of that as we press on today, and then we will get into what is meant when she said she came to prove him with hard questions. But we had told you about some of John's disciples, Philip and Nathaniel, even believers themselves, when they heard of the Messiah coming from Nazareth, they were skeptical. What? Can anything good come from Nazareth? And Herod himself in that 14th chapter of, uh, I believe it was, of Matthew's gospel, also hearing about Jesus and being a skeptic, not believing that he was indeed the Messiah, but He'd rather believe that it was John the Baptist risen from the dead than a different and superior person. That's human skepticism and unbelief. And then I want to remind you of a familiar one. You remember the Samaritan woman at the well in John's Gospel chapter 4? Well, of course, there was skepticism with her initially at the well, wasn't there? But when Jesus revealed himself unto her, she believed upon him. But she ran or went into the town and told others in uh, John's Gospel chapter 4, verse 28 and 30. And in anticipation of the skepticism that is inferred here, notice what it said. She left her water pot, went her way into the city and said to the men, Come see a man which told me, all things that ever I did. And she didn't leave it at there. She said, is not this the Christ? Because when you run and tell somebody, hey, I just met somebody that told me everything about me. Then I've never met them before. You know, there's natural skepticism. So her question, is not this the Christ? You know, meant to curb that skepticism that who else could it be? You know. The proof. And her message is very similar to what we see and what the message of the gospel. Come and see. Come and see. Come to the Bible. Come to the gospel. Come to church. Come to hear the message of the gospel. And try it and prove it. 
And when I say tried, I don't mean this bumper sticker stuff of tried Jesus. That's garbage. Proof whether it's true or not in your own mind. And do it at risk to your own soul. Because this is God's record. And this is the very record that you'll one day be judged by is if you reject it. Another quick interesting one to prove and just remind you of the skepticism. You remember when Christ went across the sea to the land of the Gadarenes and the man there, there were two actually in one biblical account of the Gospels who was a, uh, lived in the tombs and cut himself and his name was Legion. Remember that? I mean, if there was ever a wild man... Uh, out of control, superhuman strength and all of that, this was him. And this man would have been a terror to him, was a terror to himself and to humanity. And Christ healed him, remember, and the demons went into the herd of swine, run off the bluff and all that. And I mean, you would have think reading about that, or if I told you a story like that, that, that that would make the people of that place they're just the happiest people that ever lived, wouldn't you? I mean, number one, they got rid of the terror of this guy, and they had somebody there that had enough power to do something like this. And it had just the opposite effect, the Bible says. Matthew, Matthew chapter 8, read the last two verses of that chapter with me, if you will, please, or I'll read them to you. Matthew chapter 8, verses 33 and 34. And they that kept the hogs, the pigs, fled, went their ways to the city, told everything what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Now, why would they do that? I mean, what had just happened was clearly evident. That could not be denied. But rather than wanting him to stay, they wanted him to leave. There's only one thing that will do that. Skepticism, doubting, and unbelief. So they said, just go on, if you will. That's a shame, isn't it? But again, that's the natural skepticism that is in every sinner. Rather than just rushing headlong and embracing that person, that act, that ability and all that concerns it. No, would you, would you mind leaving and just going on down the road? We don't want you here. You're not welcome here. That's the skepticism of sinners. We've all been there and done that. The Pharisees themselves asked Jesus, by what authority do you do these things? Now I ask you, what difference did it make? <laughs> if you could see a person speaking like Jesus and performing the things that he did, only a skeptic, only an unbelieving, selfish individual would say, what authority do you do? What right do you have? And that's where they come. So that skepticism is there. Let me look on now. Let's look on into we mentioned what we mentioned last week. That she came because she didn't believe. She was a skeptic. She doubted. You know, she was curious. Some and all of that. But also it says she came to prove him with hard questions. So this is the next step. And Jesus said in uh, Matthew twelve forty two again, where he said a greater than Solomon is here, he said that he commended her because she came to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And you put that with to prove it, she came to hear if there was really the wisdom there that she'd heard about. Because you put the prove and the hear together, that's, she, was, she was testing him. And that's really what to prove means, to test. And I would say to you again that as sinners, again, naturally, 
when we hear of or hear about or exposed to God's Word, and we're the skeptics and we're the doubt and we're all unbelievers, and there's some curiosity in there too, and we're asking, is it real? Can it be real? Is that, you know, did it really happen like that? You know, all that. We will run that things through our mind and our unbelief. Did we not? I mean, right? What we're really doing is not only testing, but we're scrutinizing. And those words overlap. But as skeptics, we scrutinize, you know, due to our skepticism and unbelief. And I would say to you again, this is what's natural with all sinners. And this is what the queen was doing. And this is, if you remember, exactly what Jesus put up with during his whole earthly ministry. I mean, he was literally under scrutiny from birth. You remember the incident with the wise men and Herod again and all that and the children two years under? And I mean, it, there was scrutiny even then. Obviously, there was some scrutiny at 12 years old, we're told. We don't know about the big gaps in between. But then again, when he began his personal ministry, the scrutiny really came down, did it not? And it says here, she came with to prove him, test him, scrutinize him with hard questions. And hard questions here is a variety of things. Uh, it may be serious, legitimate questions. It may be hypothetical questions. It involves riddles, parables, uh, dark scenes, philosophical things, you know. Let me say to you, a lot of the junk that the academic world talks about today. That's about what it would amount to. But it could be a wide range of things. But nevertheless, she had her hard questions, and let's just pause here and see if we can remember as sinners, we all had our hard questions when it come to the Bible, didn't we? Didn't we? Sure we did. We were sinners. Did God really this? Did that really, you know? I mean, so every sinner being a natural born unbeliever and skeptic and doubter has their own set of hard questions to bring to the Bible. All right? It's just like bringing it to the debate table. So, and again, think of this. Unbelief, whoever the person is, has their own set of hard questions. It does not matter if a person is an illiterate individual, could not even read and write, or if they're a scholarly individual. The bottom line they have in common is they're both unbelieving, and they both got their own kinds and types of questions about the Bible, about the gospel, and about the person of the Bible, the object of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ. So all unbelief has hard questions. But let's rehearse some of the things Jesus did with, uh, dealt with that really manifest some of these. And it manifests her motive and every sinner's motive. And I want to say to you, no sinner has a natural inclination and a hunger for the truth about anything. No. Our motive is scrutiny. And skepticism. 
And I'm going to show you that through the people that come to Jesus and then again remind you, you and I weren't any different. We weren't because we wanted to learn or because we wanted to find out the truth about Jesus, creation, the virgin birth or heaven or hell or anything like that. We weren't seeking truth. We were being selfish, skeptical, unbelieving scrutinizers of what God has said. That's what we do as sinners. So again, the pattern here we read of her is true of every sinner. But let's begin uh, with uh, Matthew 16. And we'll go through this kind of chronologically through the Gospel of Matthew to try to make it easy for you to go through these uh, a few examples to set this precedent before you. Matthew chapter 16. doing what she did, tempting and tempting, desired of him that he would show them a sign from heaven. And again, the tempting here is a test, okay? Tempting is testing in that regard. And they want a sign from heaven. And Jesus kind of speaks to them about uh, the weather, you know, little weather here about how you predict the weather, but in verse 4, only a wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign. And you're not going to get one but the sign of Jonas and so forth. But again, this was their attitude. This is their scrutiny. This is their skepticism. This is their unbelief. They did not embrace what Jesus said. They did not embrace the miracles Jesus performed. They sought an excuse. They said what? He gets a power to do that from Beelzebub. And he turned to the table and said, you know, a kingdom divided itself can't stand. I mean, if you know, would Beelzebub cast out demons of Beelzebub? You know, I mean, he showed the foolishness of their scrutiny, as he always did. It's embarrassing for us to read about, but they didn't get embarrassed. They just got angry. And eventually they crucified him because of his anger. So again, this is what they did, though tempting, testing, seeking to prove. And they were persistent in this. In the 19th chapter, at verse 3, this is a very good example of uh, of, uh, what they would do. Pharisees came tempting him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to put his wife for every cause? Now again, their motive is not to find out the truth of the matter. They came testing to scrutinize him, to try to disprove rather than prove in that regard. Well, Jesus, I'm not going to read all of this, but Jesus gives them a lesson on divorce. And he does not do away with the Old Testament. He reinforces creation. He reinforces the Old Testament. And finally, uh, you know, tells them there, uh, when they ask a question in verse 7, well, why did Moses do it? Why did Moses make exception? He answered their questions. He answered it all, and he answered it very clearly. But again, their motive was to test him, to prove him, to try to disprove him, etc., etc. Another good example is over in the 22nd chapter, about verse 15. And I think it speaks specifically here of a different motive and a different means here. In Matthew 22 and 15, when the Pharisees took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. Now, literally, this would be to find himself in a contradiction of some sort, okay? And I I say contradiction because you think of the wisdom of Solomon 
You think of the wisdom of God, the wisdom of Jesus. Any wisdom that is pure in its content will be non-contradictory. It will all be smooth as butter. It'll all fit. Every little piece of the puzzle, whether it's about this, astrology, nature, science, whatever it may be, it's all going to go together in the most consistent and harmonious manner. And of course, Solomon did that with his earthly wisdom and Jesus did that on a superior level with spiritual things. But this is what it means to entangle him, to get him to contradict himself, uh, you know, to get him at a dead end where he couldn't answer. So they chose out these individuals, their disciples, with the Herodians in this. And then they flatter him, first of all, like many times, uh, you know, that's the way you do. You try to set somebody up. And uh, it's a crying shame, but they teach people to do this. You know, you, you, you can be taught this, whether your objective is business or politics or religion. Master, we know thou art true and a teacher, and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of man. Okay. Oh, just, it's just dripping off, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Well, if you believed all that, why aren't you even asking a question, you know? Again, what thinkest thou? You know, I mean, they don't really know, want to know what he thinks. They're trying to trap him. But boy, did they set it up, didn't they? I mean, they spread the sugar thick. Tell us, therefore, what thinks thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? <laughs> and I'm just always amazed. You know, the Scripture says in another place, Jesus knew what was in man. I mean, I mean, Jesus knows more about us than we know about ourselves. And when these people came perceiving their witness, why do you test me, you hypocrites? I mean, why, why do you come to test me? I mean, you know, if you really believed what you said... You wouldn't be asking me a question like this in this context. Your motive is revealed. So, he, of course, answers to them, you know, uh, give me a tribute money. What's it look like? Whose inscriptions on it? And very simply, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, the things that are God's God. But again, it shows their means of how they were trying to test and really disprove him. Well, in this same chapter, just drop down to verse 23. It says, uh, after he sent these, this bunch away, you know, they marveled and left and went their way. The same day came the Sadducees, and they don't believe in a resurrection, so boy, have they really got a good dark, sane, test, hypothetical thing here. They really think they're going to get him with this one, you know. And that goes back to the law of Moses and you know, if a man dies and he has no children, then under the Mosaic law, his brother was to take that woman and raise up seed unto his brother. And so this was done and went through one, two, three, four, and went all the way to seven of them, okay? And finally the woman died also. And then, uh, of course, they don't believe in a resurrection. So they really think they've got him. So this happened, and now in the resurrection, in verse 28, whose wife is she going to be? You know, so what they're really saying, if there is, no, if there is a resurrection, you've got a real problem with it. Because this woman had seven husbands on earth, and if there's going to be a resurrection, how is she going to have it? You know, I mean, it's a big test. It's scrutiny in that regard. And of course, Jesus, as always, 
said, verse 29, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. For in the resurrection, neither the marrying nor given a marriage, but are as the angels of God in heaven. And as touching the resurrection of the dead, have you not read that was spoken to you by God, saying, I'm the God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob. God's not the God of the dead, but of the living. So again, silence in them. But this is the scrutiny that he was under. And I don't really think any of us can imagine probably how much of this constantly and persistently went on. Day in and day out. Well, still in this chapter, drop down to verse 35. Just right after that, it says, uh, well, verse 34 says, Pharisees heard they put the Sadducees to silence, so they gathered together and they tried to come up with something better than what they did the first part of the chapter. So they have this lawyer asking the question, Master, what's the great commandment of the law? And uh, the Lord tells them all of that, you know, and et cetera, et cetera. So again, constantly trying to trick, catch him. Again, verse 35 says, testing him and saying. And of course, kind of uniquely, this was one of those occasions where Jesus then just took the advantage of turning the tables on themselves. You come to ask me a question, let me ask you a question. And he did this in the latter part of this masterfully of this chapter. When, what do you think of Christ? Whose son is he? Let me put a question to you. And they said, the son of David... And they said, well, then how does David in spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said unto my Lord, sat there on my right hand. And, of course, he had them because they knew either answer they gave would expose their error. So very interesting. Uh, let's look at uh, just one or two more, and we'll bring this, wrap this up. Uh, let's look at John chapter 8. Again, a very familiar account, one that I'm sure you're, aware of as that chapter begins verses 1 to 11 this is the woman that was taken supposedly in adultery at least that's what they said we don't know for sure but again verse 6 says and they said tempting or testing him that they might have to accuse him you know about we need to put her to death this is what the law of Moses said so they think they got him again you either got to fulfill the law of Moses and murder this or put this woman to death, or else if you excuse her, you violate the law of Moses. So we got him. We got him here. Here's a test, you know. And of course, he ignored him, wrote on the ground, and then made the famous statement there in verse seven: "The wisdom in that he that is without sin among you, let him cast his first stone at her." And of course, that had to soak in on them a little at a time, from the eldest to the least, till they all went away. Jesus dealt with that in a masterful way. But again, notice that. Testing him. So every sinner, all sinners, skeptics, doubtful, come with their hard questions, you know, to test or to prove. And this went on throughout Jesus' life. And probably nowhere was it more manifest than actually at the crucifixion itself. Go back with me to Matthew's Gospel, if you will, please. And let's look at the 27th chapter. And of all I've said, probably again, nowhere was it more manifest than it was at the crucifixion among those who were there. The 27th of Matthew, reading at verse 39. Jesus is crucified on the cross. He's in the middle. Verse 38, two thieves crucified on either side of him. And this is what's going on. This is the scene. As they, and they, verse 39, 
they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God. And that was a familiar thing with them. It's not a whole lot of places in the Gospels, but it's in enough. If thou be. If thou be. What is that? Skepticism. Doubt. Faithlessness. Okay? Come down from the cross. Likewise, also the chief priests mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others. Himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now. He will have, if he will have him, for he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. And you've heard me, those who have heard me preach in this church, have heard me say time and time again, if upon the pronouncement of their mocking words, Jesus had immediately come off the cross and stood whole in front of them, I say to you, they still would not believe. If Jesus had done a million more miracles than he did, they would not believe. It would have been more evidence that he was who he said he was, the Messiah and the only begotten Son of God, but it would not have caused them to believe. Is seeing believing? I heard a great message on that one time. I've said that before. Not always. Most of the time not. God can use seeing as a means to cause people to believe, but seeing in and of itself is not believing. How much do you think these people had seen? We can't begin to imagine. If you saw one person raised from the dead, wouldn't that be convincing enough? But we get the impression by reading the Gospels that times Jesus from daylight to dark was healing people as fast as they could bring them to Him. And how many days throughout His ministry He did things like that, we don't know. But the evidence is absolutely overwhelming. And still we see the skepticism and the doubt and the attempt to disprove that he was who he was. And you know what? Just because Jesus rose from the dead and went to heaven didn't end it at all. As bad as it was and as much of it as there was when he was alive on the earth, it has only continued to increase since he left this earth. He's just not here to give the answers that he gave when he was here then. But the skepticism and unbelief is still just as here and in just the same degree because you know what? Sinners are still the same. You've heard it. I've heard it. Others have heard it in other generations. It's been the question down through the ages since Jesus left this earth. Is this really the Bible? Is this really God's Word? 
What sinner has not entertained that thought that ever has been exposed to the Bible? You think that's really true, that God created everything? Most people don't believe that. We talked about it before. Evolution, since Darwin introduced it, has continued to grow and grow and grow. And the bottom line is we live. We live. We who are alive now and in this generation have seen the theory become the common belief. We have seen the tables turn from most people, even unbelievers, accepting a creation account that things came from something. We've seen the tables turn where the majority of people now so reject God's word that they'd rather believe and accept the fact that, not a fact, but they think it's a fact, that everything came from nothing. And I realize at the same time, and it don't let nobody off the hook, that since everybody believes that, well, i got to believe it too because I don't want to go going. You know, I don't want to be swimming upstream against the current. So there it is. Sinners ask those questions. Sinners question the Bible. Sinners question God. A worldwide flood? Really? What about the dinosaurs? You know, and et cetera, et cetera, and this and that. And... I can think of people who have asked such ridiculous things and while they're trying to entangle me, they're really trying to disprove God. Well, what about, and you, you really believe, I mean, how could a fish swallow a man and him live in there? I mean, you know, that's just impossible. But again, we're talking about people who don't believe in God, who are skeptical of God, doubtful of God, faithless. And they don't believe. When I read, with God, all things are possible, they don't believe that. Because they don't believe God. And specifically, of course, the greatest skepticism, again, is not the things in the Bible, but the person of the Bible, Christ. And probably the supreme thing about Christ is the question of his deity. Okay, people can't, you don't hear majority of people saying, nor have we ever, because there's too much evidence, not just biblical, but historical, that the man Jesus did exist. We date time in our calendars by the man Jesus, the year of our Lord. Of course, they're changing that now to the contemporary era. But again, you know, there's too much evidence to deny that he existed. History just won't allow that. You just have to, you can't dig a hole big enough to hide all the history to get rid of Jesus. But the confusion and the questions continue. And the main one again being, who was he? The question Jesus asked over there a while ago, who, whose son is he? Who is he really? And we don't have enough pen and paper to write down all the answers and all the variations. Who was he? Even other religions of the world don't deny him. Well, he was a teacher. Well, he was a great prophet. 
No matter if you're asking a Jew or a Muslim, they're going to give some answer like like that. Well, yeah, he existed. He was a great teacher. He was a prophet of God. This, he just wasn't the Messiah. He just wasn't the Son of God. And we've got Muhammad. We don't need, you know, this and that, so forth and so on. Is that really real? Was he really the Son of God? So every sinner that questions and asks that question is doing exactly the same thing the queen did, exactly the same thing we've all done who believe in Christ. We have questioned this book, which is God's record, which is God's word, concerning His Son, Jesus Christ. Who He was, what He did, and what He accomplished. You mean you really believe that Bible stuff that Jesus was God's son and that he died and that believing in his shed blood takes away your sin? I mean, all that blood redemption stuff? Yes, we believe it because that's God's record. God said it. But that's the skepticism. That's the proving. That's the testing that goes on in the heart and the mind of the unbeliever. And I'll tell you in summation here what sinners are really doing and what they're really looking for, which is all they can do, which is sad, by trying to prove these things. And that is they're wanting a natural answer to supernatural things. And there aren't any. There aren't any. As Christians, we don't have the explanations for a lot of those questions because God just hasn't given them to us. But if you have faith, you don't need explanations. All you need is faith. And if you cease to be a skeptic, and like the queen... You examine, you find it to be a true and above and beyond what you thought could be true. You don't need explanations. The only way to believe in the supernatural is by faith. By God-given faith. And that's the difference between those who accept it and believe it, who hear about it, check it out, and embrace it and those who do not. In fact, I'll take you back here in closing. Remember what we just read here in Matthew 27 about those walking by? I mean, this was a procession of people. And then it says the two thieves both did the same thing. But you know the story of the thieves. At some point, the one ceased to be a skeptic. He ceased to be a doubter. And he went from faithless to faith when he addressed Jesus. When he asked him, Lord, when you come in your kingdom, remember me. Jesus said, this day thou be in paradise. So that's what happens. That's what can happen. That's what we desire to happen. That's what happened with the queen. If you're a believer, that's what happened with you. Same thing as a thief on the cross. Your scrutiny ceased. Your doubt ceased. Your skepticism went away. 
And like the centurion, surely this was the Son of God. And I want to put it to you in closing just like we did last week. Remember this book, this sacred book, it is the Holy Bible because it is from a holy God. It is God's Word. And if you were to sum up the Bible, we would sum it up in 1 John chapter 5 and verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness in himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave of his Son. The Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, is the record that God has given of his Son. It is the anvil that men feebly and futilely pick up their hammers with their hard questions and beat away at. And yet it's still here and it will be here. It is God's record of His Son. Will you believe it? Will you believe it today? Or will you, rejecting it, accuse God of being a liar, as I just said? Today, sinners sit in judgment of God, His Word, and His Son. But one day, God, His Son, and His Word is going to sit in judgment of sinners. Now today is the day to believe the record that God gave of His Son. Today is the day, like the Queen, and I just love these words, and every believer should. This is a testimony of every believer. I heard in my own country... I heard a long time ago. I heard many times. I did. And I found eventually it was a true report that I heard. But I didn't believe it for a long time. But she says, I came and mine eyes had seen it. Now I can't present a Jesus for you to look at and believe upon today. And it wouldn't do any good if I could. Because when he was here, people looked upon him and didn't believe on him either. And I can't give you the faith to believe, but I can tell you this, without belief upon him, you're hopelessly lost. And she says, mine eyes had seen it. I've never seen Jesus except by faith, but he's on every page of Scripture. And we who believe see him by faith. And what we were initially told and thought we knew about him when we were lost, like she said, was not even half of what was really there that we're learning about now that we're saved. It exceeds anything I've ever heard about or known about. That's Jesus. That's God's Son. And I'll say this. Everybody's going to believe that eventually. The dire question of the moment is, When are you going to believe that? If you're alive and breathing and you hear me today, you have opportunity to believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, come unto me and I'll give you eternal life. Repent of your sins, believe upon me. Yes, blood redemption, that's what it's called. That's the promise of Jesus. 
Now, if you question and continue to doubt, as so many do, whether this is God's Word, whether the record's true, creation, but most of all, if you doubt what this book says about Jesus, then you put the jeopardy of your own soul in your own hands. Because as we said last week when we closed, and we purposely say it again today, everyone who has went out of this world hearing this message of Jesus Christ and the gospel and has remained a skeptic and a doubter and an unbeliever and has died is now in hell and they know that record's true because they're in hell. And one day in judgment out of hell when they stand before Christ who will judge the quick and dead the testimony will be exactly what she said in verse 6 and 7. I'm going to read it to you again and we're done. This will be the acknowledgement because every knee is going to bow and every tongue will confess the record that God has given of His Son. And then believers will spend an eternal bliss in a new heaven and a new earth and all the unbelieving will be turned right back into hell forever and ever. But this, this is what will have to be lived with for an eternity in hell. It was a true report that I heard when I was alive of Christ, His acts, His wisdom, God's record of His Son. Howbeit I believe not the words when I was alive until I came to this place called hell and then mine eyes saw that it was all true and the half of it is still beyond comprehension now that's where we're all coming to folks universal the blessing is to believe that now today harden not your heart the queen is a marvelous example here of sinners who embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ and just admits, I didn't believe it, but I saw it. By God's grace, now I believe it and I'm saved. Hope you can be enabled by God's grace to say that today. And if you can, rejoice, rejoice.